Good morning and happy third birthday, church. Yeah. Arnold, if I trip over this, it's coming back on you. There's no grace in this church. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. You're cramping my style a little bit, but <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, what, sty what style do I have? <laughs> I'm good. Good morning again. Happy birthday. Um, it is an exciting day, like three years old. Steve came in this morning and said, hey, you know that, what that means? We're out of diapers. So that's a good thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Um, I absolutely love being a part of this special movement that God is using you and me for in Southwest Iowa. Never in a million years growing up in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, would I ever have thought that I would be here today getting to be a part of this with you all. Like, it's, it's incredible. Um, it is not a story that I could have written. It's not a story that my parents could have written. It's definitely not a story that Tyler Mass could have written. Like, imagine, like, little tiny Tyler Mass growing up, like, in his diary, like, oh, man, Jesus, one day I hope to plant, or plant churches, multiply disciples with Matt Keller. And he's like, today, dreams do come true. No, I'm just kidding. No, like, it's only a story that Jesus could have written. He can only write stories like this. And so I just see, I just see God's grace all over this story. It's God's grace. We are, as a collective body, excuse me, who we are, where we are, it's God's grace. And all the, all the people that we have together, it's God's grace. So I see God's love, his mercy, grace, forgiveness, transform, transformation all over the story. And I want nothing more than for you personally to know it, experience it, feel it as well in your own story. It is available to all. It is the good news of Jesus. And I am really excited. Tyler's really excited for all the years to come. So last, last week, we started talking about our family traits, who we are, what we are all about here at City Light. It's down, up, in, out. I think we have a slide so you guys can get caught up. The number one thing that marks us as a family is the gospel. We talk about Jesus a lot around here. It is our down family trait, core value, all about the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, resurrection, and sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived the life, death, lived the, uh, Jesus lived the life that we all should have lived and died the death that you and I should have died. And now Jesus wants to partner with us. Jesus wants to partner with you and me to see his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wants to bring heaven to earth through you and me. We never ever graduate from the need of the gospel. And so this morning we are continuing with our family traits and talking about our response our response to the person and work of Jesus. It is our up core value, transformation. Other people call it spiritual formation. That's the more fancy word that we talk about. But we respond to this good news of the gospel that we are forgiven and set free. And we can't help but be transformed by that good news. The gospel shapes, the gospel transforms, the gospel moves our hearts to be more like Jesus. It's not about a program, it's not about a plan, it's not about a thesis, it's not about a theory. It is a personal pursuit of a relationship with Jesus. 
Jesus says, hey, I love you where you are, where you were as a rebellious sinner, and I love you enough to not, let you, to not leave you where you are. He wants, as we talked about last week, he wants to continue to remove those hellish desires that we have in our hearts and get that out of us and out of his good world. It's the good news of Jesus that motivates him, that mo- I'm sorry, that motivates us to follow him and say, Jesus, I want that. I want to be like you. I want to walk like you. I want to talk like you. I want to think like you. I want to interact with other people in my life just like you. It's not religion. It's not just behavior modification. We respond to the most generous story ever told with the most generous human being ever in Jesus with a response of trust and generosity just like Jesus. And I want to focus on that for a second. I want to focus on this for a second today before we move on to the practical, what does this look like at City Light? Because if God has created this good world, and if he has given us everything that we need to live, thrive, be forgiven in relationship with God again, and in relationship with others, to help redeem the world, and, and like, what is our response? What is our response to, specifically with our time, our energy, and our resources? Or maybe the question is like, how should we respond? I don't know what your response is, but how should we respond? Like, isn't it true that we can tell a lot about a person and what they believe and what they worship by looking at what they spend their time doing, by what they spend their money on? What, what activities do they ext- extend and expend their energy doing? And so with that in mind, this is, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 19 on this topic. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also B, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So you're probably asking, what is Jesus talking about here? The eye is the lamp of the body. Should we all on Tuesday, since tomorrow's a holiday, should we all go get our eyes checked first thing on Tuesday morning? No, that is not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about here is a figure of speech. It was an idiom that was well known in his day, all right? Rabbis taught that you either had a good eye or you had a bad eye. Baseball had not been invented yet, so he is not talking about a batter having a good eye, okay? But people would use this phrase, and the difference between having a good eye and having a bad eye was how you saw the world. If you see the world with a good eye, you chose to see things in a positive light. You chose, the, you chose to see things with, with hope and the best in a situation, and as we talk about the gospel and trusting the gospel, you, you see how Jesus sees, how he is seeking and saving and serving and restoring all things back to himself. And if Jesus is on the throne, 
We want to choose to see all the possibilities of what God is doing in and through people. And so that's seeing things with a good eye, or you can see the world with a bad eye. And you can see and focus in on all the sin, all the disruption, all the chaos, all the corruption. And if we're honest, it's pretty easy to do. Am I right? It is pretty easy to look around and see all the sin and all the ugly. I'm not saying this morning, I'm not saying be naive to those things. What I'm saying is if we intentionally choose to look for God in all situations and where he's moving, we will have eyes to start seeing those things. Because how we see the world greatly, greatly affects our hearts and our inward response to Jesus. What you look for, you will find. If you look for the good, you're gonna see the good and you're gonna see God moving. If you look for the bad, it's clear to see that in our day and age. So I wanna challenge us as a church, would we break our tendencies to just look for the bad? Would we allow the Holy Spirit to come in and give us encouragement and give us eyes to see where God is moving and not just focus on all of the bad? Because ultimately, it impacts who you are, who I am, and we as a church, how we view the world. And this is what shapes our core up family value. Because our hope is not like the world. Our hope is not like the world. Our hope is in the finished and unfinished work of Jesus. And it has a direct connection with our outward response of worship, praise, and wanting and desiring to be transformed, to be more like Jesus. So a good eye changes our heart, which then changes our practices and our habits, which then has the potential to change the people around us, our family members, coworkers, friends, which then has the potential to change neighborhoods, which then has the potential to change regions, which then has the potential to change nations. It's good news. And it starts with you and me and how we view the world. So think, think about it this way. You and I naturally have a posture to the world, all right? We naturally have a posture, particular attitudes and approaches to dealing with random things, situations in our life. Now, if you have a good eye, then you have a posture of abundance, all right? A posture of abundance. If you have a posture of scarcity, I'm sorry, you can have a posture of of, of scarcity or abundance. If you have a posture of abundance, you have a good eye. We look at all that Jesus has done for the world. We, have, we look at all of God's resources and how he used them to save you and me. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, that is crazy, generous love. Like, unbelievable how he used his resources in a generous way to save you and me. God is ridiculously hopeful for this world. So we look around because of Jesus. We look around, we see the good. We see all the things that God is doing. We see all the possibility. We see all the potential. We see all the resources that he has given us in our breath, in our lungs, in our bodies and how we can move and breathe and use it to bless others with our time, our our talents, our energy, all our financial resources. And you know what it makes us want to do? It makes us want to give of ourselves. It makes us want to give all it right back to Jesus. 
and use our time, energy, and resources for the good of other people because that's what God did for us. A good eye is directly connected to generosity because we see the world from a generous eye. It makes us generous people. But if we have a bad eye, if we have a bad eye, we have a posture of scarcity. There's not enough in the world. Everyone, everyone is going to let me down. Everyone is going to hurt me. I have to, I have to protect myself. And it makes you, the last thing you want to do is give anything away. The last thing you want to do. It makes us ungenerous and stingy. That's what it makes us do. So Jesus says here, hey, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven because you've got to have a good eye. You've got to have a good eye. And if you have a bad eye, you're going to just live for your own desires and your own self-preservation mindset. And you can't serve both. You can't serve two masters. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve yourself and the world. It's either a scarcity mindset or it's an abundance mindset. And only one worldview is going to lead you to a response of generosity and transformation to become more like Jesus. And so City Light, we have to trust the good news of Jesus, that God has created a good world, that he's not holding out on us, even to the point of sacrificing his own son in our place. He's not holding out. He's given us everything we need. We have nothing to lose. So of course we can lay down our lives. Of course this makes us generous because we realize the whole, wor- the whole earth, the whole world, every resource is his. It's not ours and he has our back, and we are totally loved, we are totally valued, we are totally seen and heard and accepted. And so I just challenge us, would we continue, notice I said continue, to be a church that has a good eye and views our time, energy, and resources in light of the gospel message? Our hope and our prayer for you each and every week is that over the next year, over the next five years, over the next 10 years, that you would look more and more like Jesus than you do right this very second. More holy, more generous, more kind, more gentle, more compassionate. That the things of Jesus, that that defined the life of Jesus would define us more and more over time. So the question is, how do we change? How do we change? We just keep looking at Jesus. We are not static. We are dynamic beings that have roots in the ground in Jesus that are growing. It's either we are becoming more like Jesus or we're becoming more like the world. And so it's, it's about what do we consume? What do we look at? What do we listen to? What do we give our time and affection to? Would you wrestle with that this morning? Would you wrestle with that over the next week? So I transitioned to talking about how does this play out at City Light? What does our up value look like practically? So if, if worrying that there won't be enough for us keeps us from being generous towards God and towards others, if it gives us a bad eye, if worrying suffocates the generous heart that God has for his people and it stifles the advancement of God and his kingdom here on earth and trust sets us free to be generous, then what does it look like for us as a church? Here's where I wanna go with this we are going to embrace spiritual disciplines to enjoy God, not earn something from God. So let's go back to the creation story. In the creation story, God created the space and said, you fill it. 
be fruitful and multiply. Just spread my goodness throughout the entire world. Let everybody experience how good I am. I want you to enjoy it too. And it didn't work, really work out too well. We wanted to do our own thing. So God says, all right, not gonna throw everything away. We're gonna repair this. And so this time God says, hey, you guys create the space in your life and I will fill it. You create the space in your life and I will fill it. So if you create space with your time, your energy, your talents, your gifts, your wirings, your passions, and your resources, God will fill it. Now, it may not be in the way that you want him to fill it. It might not be in the time you want him to fill it. It might not be in the manner you want him to fill it with or the things that you want him to fill it with but he will fill it. He is a good and gracious God, so he will give you just what you need. There was research done recently talking about, um, I can't even remember what it was, but it came back saying that the majority of Christians in America these days live with a consistent, low-grade spiritual anxiety. Now, like, oh yeah, I, I, I get what they're talking about. I, I've been there. And so more than, more than ever, I understand why. It's like we go, go, go. We have, we have our time and our energy and our resources all mixed up and invested in the wrong things. And I don't know about you, I've been here before where I kind of like shake my fist like, God, why are you not more present in my life? Why are you so distant? Why aren't you changing things in my life? I think the solution is here in spiritual disciplines and how we pattern our lives after Jesus, because Jesus made space in his life for the Father to fill. And so we as a church are going to focus on what we can control. It's this idea of being generous and God-centered with everything that he has given us, seen and, and unseen, things that we can hold in our hand and things in our heart. And we are going to steward and be generous with our time, our energy, and our resources for the advancement of God's good kingdom and the local church and our own personal health and enjoyment. That's what we're gonna do. And so as a church, there are many, many different spiritual disciplines, different habits and routines that we can create space for God to speak in, transform us as we worship him. All I wanna do is name a few. I just wanna name three this morning, specifically one for each, our time, our energy, and our resources. So first, we are going to worship and make space for Jesus with our meditation and memorization of the scriptures. We want to get the scriptures inside of us. Not, not Bible knowledge, not Bible learning, like experiencing the Bible in our lives. You know how there's a difference between just knowing the Bible and like experiencing and living out? We want to experience the Bible. We want to write the text out. Maybe some of you, it's typing the text out, listening to the text, wrestling with the text, by yourself, with a friend, applying the text to our lives, getting the text, getting the scriptures in our hearts in as many ways as possible. It is an engaging and active process. And when we, when we memorize and when we study and we, when we meditate on the text, God, through the Holy Spirit, can use that text in ways that we can't even believe. And it'll change us. Like I heard a story one time recently about a guy who had studied a passage 15 years prior and kind of like studied it, got it into his heart, 
And then 15 years down the road, it came up at, a, at just a moment that was like, oh, okay, that was random. But God said, hey, you, you did your part, I'm gonna do my part. And so would we be a people that do our part in understanding the text and allowing the spirit to speak through us through the text? Because God will do his part. God will do his part. And so one of the ways that Tyler and I practice this in our personal lives, in our personal studies, and even sermon prep is this little chart. And my hope is that maybe it'll just give you a framework when you open the Bible. You can go ahead and throw that up there. So it is, it is really, really easy for us uh, for, to, to feel the need for the Bible to be relevant and miss the context of a passage when we read the Bible. Preachers especially have to be very careful of this. So first, when you read the Bible, when you read a text, what you wanna start by doing is just thinking about the context. Spend some time doing the legwork of understanding the first audience, like thousands of years ago. It's a, it's a little bit of a different culture you know, the ancient Middle East than our culture is today. So we have to do some legwork and saying, hey, what did the text mean for them then? What was, what was the author's original context and intent of the text? What did, what did like for, for the passage I used earlier, what did the eye is the lamp of the body mean to them? Because it probably means something different to us. You want to go back to them then. And there's tons of books there's tons of online resources, podcasts, other things that are out there to help you with this legwork, all right? There's, there's tons of stuff out there. So once you kind of get a grasp and understand the audience's original context, the next step is connect it to Jesus. You gotta connect it to Jesus. How does it connect to the much larger picture of what God is doing in the story of the Bible? Because everything in the Bible connects to Jesus, Jesus points back, back and forward. He points back to the Old Testament and forward to what he is doing. It needs to connect to the larger redemption story and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the problem is, if we don't connect it to Jesus, then what it becomes is just a moralist, a moral, legalistic, work harder teaching and application in our lives. And there's no grace, there's no forgiveness, there's no restoration in the person and work of Jesus. And so once you do that, then, then after you read the text, do the legwork of understanding the original audience connected to the gospel and the character of Jesus, the sending of the spirit, then you are ready to bring the message to today and apply it to your life, your story, and what God is doing in the world. And so what happens when we don't follow any sort of process like that is, is we rob ourselves we deny ourselves the richness and the substance of God's word and we, and we miss out. We just miss out on, on the beauty of these texts and these scriptures. And so I wanna ask you, what would it look like for you to, to slow down in your life, to make space for this remarkable collection of authoritative books and, and just let, create some space to let them speak to you and to shape you and to form you? Maybe it just starts by, begin by reading just small portions of scripture a few times a week. You can start with the gospels and maybe a psalm or pick one passage to read a few times over. What would it look like for you to just adopt a practice of reading scriptures daily? And maybe that does mean setting a, like a timer for your, your TV time, your computer time, your phone screen time in your days and your weeks. And set a time that in order 
to be in the scriptures. Maybe adopt a specific reading plan. End your day with the psalm. Follow along with the podcast as they go through the Bible. Anything in your life that could take you deeper in the scriptures that kind of follows that narrative. All right, so that's one. Secondly, we are going to, we are going to worship and make space for Jesus at City Light by expending our energy wisely. We live in a culture that is all about constant progress, constant progress. We strive for more money, more success, more status, more connections with people, all of which is fueled by the expectation that life constantly has us moving forward. And the result of our progress addiction is widespread burnout. Like my generation, my generation is considered the burnout generation. And in opposition to our culture of progress and burnout, the scriptures and the way of Jesus invites the tired, the weary, the exhausted, the burned out to a day of rest each and every week. It is built into the, fa- the fabric and a rhythm of creation itself. And so on the Sabbath, we are freed from progress and from our internal productive identities. And so what would it look like for you to create that space in your life to Sabbath. Maybe take your first step in Sabbath by just setting aside a, a first day or a time to Sabbath. Start, start where you are at. Maybe it's not a 24-hour period. Maybe just start with four hours, eight hours, 12 hours of Sabbath. And think about your life and think about what restores you. What restores you? Maybe if you work with your hands throughout the week, maybe it's doing something with your mind on, on the Sabbath. Or maybe if you are on a computer, it means doing something like taking a walk for your Sabbath or doing something that's the opposite of what you normally do work-wise throughout the week. The Sabbath is an entire day set aside to stop working, to stop wanting, to stop worrying, and to simply rest in God's provision and God's presence. I like to say, I rest, I play, I don't work, God loves me. It's beautiful. So work towards adopting a weekly rhythm of a 24-hour Sabbath and maybe expand the practices of powering down your technology. Maybe maybe electronics all together for a 24-hour period. I know that sounds crazy, but maybe that's what you need. Maybe that is what you need. And so we need to make space for rest. We need to make space for rest, but we also need to make sure that our energy and the things that we are expending our energy on matter in a worshipful way. God has uniquely wired each and every one of us here. He's given us specific wirings, specific passions, specific spiritual gifts in order to multiply disciples and extend his kingdom throughout Southwest Iowa. And so here's what I wanna challenge us to do. And I've gotten this from Dr. Bill. Dr. Bill follows this. So if you want to take anything up, talk to Dr. Bill. He is is really good at this. So look ahead of you and look behind you. Invest in people at varying points of their spiritual journeys, all right? So have somebody who who is wiser than you and say, hey, I I want you to invest in me. But also have somebody who's behind you and say, hey, let me disciple you. Like, let's talk about life together. Let's get together once a week. 
Like find people who are both ahead of you on life's path and those who are not as far along yet. And ask questions of them that you would like to learn from them and find ways to pour into them and understand their experiences. So we need to do that. Choose a spiritual mentor. Be intentional. Say, hey, I, need, I want somebody to mentor me. And maybe for some of you, it's, hey, you need to create space to be a mentor. You need to have somebody who, who is behind you and say, hey, I'm gonna create space in my life to just sit down with you once a week, once every other week, to have lunch, to have coffee, to just listen, to just listen for 25 minutes and talk and give godly wisdom, point them to the gospel for five minutes. I think we can do that. I think we can do that. So choose a spiritual mentor and say, hey, I want you to speak into my life. If you say jump, I am going to say, how high do you want me to jump? If you say, I need to remove dot, 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 TV, technology, social media from my life, I'm going to remove it. That person in your life gets to know you in a unique way that most people don't and can honestly and fully speak into in a loving and gracious way. They're going to call out greatness in you. They're going to point you to wisdom and grace of Jesus when you need it. All right, so that's second. Thirdly, we are going to worship and make space for Jesus with our money and our financial resources. Jesus talks about money more than any other topic because I think he knew that it was one of the areas of our human hearts that we have the hardest time letting go of and fully trusting God. Especially in our culture, there's a sense of pride, there's a sense of identity, there's a sense of control and comfort and security in having money. And so just to be clear, pastorally, Tyler and I are not in it for your money. We are not in it for your money. Thank you. We're not in it for your money. We care far more about you and your heart and always want to make sure your heart fully trusts that God is the supplier of everything you have. We do not want you missing out on that. We don't want you missing out on that. There's a level of stress that is relieved when you trust God more and more and more with your finances. I can, I can attest to that. We care about your heart, but being generous and, fi- and, and giving financially to City Light and being open-handed when needs, are remi- when needs arise is a reminder of that. But we also know how God meets the needs of our collective partnership with God here in Southwest Iowa. We are all financially in this together. We all have investment in here with our, with our money. And so be, we wanna be faithful with our time, our energy, and the resources money-wise that God gives us and we want to give God space both as a corporate body with our tithes and our offerings and how we give back to Southwest Iowa, but we also want to do it in a very personal way and let God fill our lives with his goodness in our personal lives. So financially, giving back to God is God's personal invitation to an outpouring of blessing and provision in our lives. Like giving back to God is the only aspect in the entire scriptures where God says, hey, put me to the test. Test me in this. In other words, he is saying, go ahead. I dare you. See if you can outgive me. See if you can outgive me. That's what God's saying to us. And so we simply respond by saying, hey, God's been generous to us, us with all of his resources. 
We get to show up and give to the church and others cheerfully and joyfully and watch how God fulfills his promise to provide for you and me and us as a church. Like, like as, a, as a congregation, we should be the best tippers in all of Southwest Iowa when we go out to eat. Yes, thank you. We should be the friendliest, most joyful customers in all of Southwest Iowa. And so with that in mind, also, if you call City Light your home, like we encourage you to accept God's invitation to put him to the test with your finances. And it gets a little dicey because it's kind of weird, but we're saying, hey, would you, would you start tithing faithfully and watch what God does in and through your life? Again, we're in this together. You can, you can give and say like multiple ways. We talk about it just about every week. You can give online. You can give in person. Online is a, is a great way to make sure you're doing it consistently. And you may ask, how, how much do I give? And we would respond sacrificially. Give sacrificially. I think it was Spurgeon that said, you want to feel your wallet pinch a little bit when you give. That's how you know it's sacrificially. In the Old Testament, the people of God were to give 10% back to God. We are not going to mandate that you give 10%. But we do simply ask you to commit to giving joyfully and sacrificially. For some of you, that means 15% or more. It does. Others, start with 1%. Start with 1% of what God has given you and work up from there. And, and watch God show up in your life. It is between you and God, but we are in this movement together. We are in this movement, this really cool third day birthday movement together. So guys, I get so excited I get so excited as we all grow in our personal and corporate relationships with the living, holy, all-powerful God because that means we will change. We will be transformed as our lives absorb more and more of the Holy Spirit into our thoughts, our emotions, our actions. We will be transformed. As his will becomes to dominate our wills, we will change. You will change I will change. We will look more and more like Jesus. We will have more and more weight off of our shoulders as Jesus takes more control over our lives. How do you know when a child is growing? Because the child is changing. The child starts as a little baby so that starts crawling and then it stands up and then it starts walking and then even running around at some point. There is change with growth. Visible change, visible transformation. And I wanna ask us, because it is a desire issue. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? I pray that we are a people who worshipfully long for something more, something with fire, something with passion, something with electricity and energy that only the gospel can speak to. It's not about earning anything, but would we get to know this God more and more and more and be transformed by this God through our effort through our pursuit, through our desires to be changed and transformed by the good, generous news of Jesus. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Great and awesome God, provider of everything, You own cattle on a thousand hillsides.
You are the God of unlimited resources. And you gave everything to seek and save the lost and to restore what was broken. It is incredible news and would we be a people that respond to the experience of your gospel message, the person of Jesus, with a desire to be more like Jesus, to be transformed from our old ways to our new ways, from old creation to new creation. Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? Would we create space in our lives to listen to the Holy Spirit, to be filled by the Holy Spirit, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit? Would we not shy away this morning from the desire to be transformed, to be changed, to be molded, to look more like Jesus? Would there not be an intimidation factor? Would it be an invitation? Would it not be fear and coercion? Would we respond because of the generosity of Jesus? We love you and we praise you and we thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness time and time again. Mm. Amen.